This chapter, if you haven't already noticed, is 57 verses long. So I'm not going to have you stand, and I'm not going to read all of it, although I want to read a large chunk of it, as is always the case with these Old Testament stories. The story is both the truth and the illustration of the truth, and it's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. So I want to I want to look at most of it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 9. We'll get right into it and start reading in verse number 1. It says, And Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, remember this is Gideon, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, the town they live in, whether is better for you, either that all the sons of Jerubbaal, which are threescore and ten or seventy, okay, seventy persons reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's brethren spake of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, He is our brother. And they gave him Three score in ten pieces of silver, seventy pieces of silver, out of the house of Baal Berith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah, and slew his brethren at the house of Jerubbaal, being three score and ten persons upon the stone, notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left. For he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together in all the house of Milo, and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim. This would have been nearby Shechem. Stood on this mountain, shouting down into the valley, and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees, he's, he's about to tear a, tell a, a fable here. The trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. And they said unto the olive tree, reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith, wherewith by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? And the trees said unto the fig tree, come now and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness? And my fruit and go to be promoted over the trees. So he wouldn't do it either. Verse number 12, Then said the trees unto the vine, Come now and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble. Okay, so this is quite a downgrade from an olive tree. Now they're left with the bramble. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if ye have done truly, okay, Jotham's, the, the fable's over. He's speaking to the town of Shechem. He says, If ye have done truly and sincerely, in that ye have made Abimelech king, and if you've dealt with Jerubbaal and his house and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, if you gave him what he deserved, for my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And you are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons threescore and ten persons upon one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. If ye then have dealt truly 
and sincerely with Jerubbaal and with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech. Rejoice, because you have a king, he says, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, if you've not done right by Gideon, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and the house of Milo, and let fire come out from the men of Shechem, from the house of Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. Okay. So verse 22, three years have passed. It says, when Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the cruelty done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. And the men of Shechem set liars in wait for him on the top of the mountains, and they robbed all that came along the way by them, and it was told Abimelech. So Shechem is causing problems in the kingdom for Abimelech. And about this time, Gael, the son of Ebed, a new character here, came with his brethren and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So he moved, it's a new move into the town of Shechem. Verse 27, and they went out into the fields and gathered their vineyards and trod the grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech? And who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is not he the son of Jerubbaal and Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? And would to God that this people were under my hand, then would I remove Abimelech? And he said, and he said to Abimelech, increase thine army and come out. So he's making a challenge. Verse number 30, and then Zebul, the ruler of the city, he's the governor of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed. When he heard this, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers unto Abimelech privily, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed and his brethren, become to Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against thee. Now therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city. And behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them as thou find or shalt find occasion. So Abimelech comes by night and I'm going to skip some verses here, but he just decimates the city of Shechem. It did not go well for Gael or for the city. Um, he raises the city, brings it down to the ground. And verse 46 says, And when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into an hold of the house of the god Beerus. So this would have been like a stronghold where these remaining few inhabitants of Shechem could hole up in defense against Abimelech. Verse 47 says, And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together, and Abimelech got him up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people that were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow through the trees, or from the trees, and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said unto the people that were with him, What ye have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. And Abimelech took all this, piled it around this stronghold, burned everyone inside alive. A thousand people, men, women, and children, and Shechem was just completely annihilated. 
Verse 50, then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it, a neighboring city. But there was a strong tower within the city. And thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and got them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came under the tower and fought against it and went hard under the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He was going to try the same thing again. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of thee, a woman slew him. And his, his young man thrust him through, and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his place. It's a really, really long, yet interesting story. Verses 56 and 57 give commentary on what was going on here. It says, Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his fathers in slaying his 70 brethren. That's like saying God returned it back onto him. He got his just desserts. Verse 57, And all the evil of the men of Shechem also, not just Abimelech, but the men of Shechem, did God render upon their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. So that's the story we're going to look at tonight. Thanks for bearing with me as we read that. Um, but we'll work through it tonight and, and hopefully find a truth there that can um, be a help to us tonight. So let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you as always for the time to be together as a church family. And I just pray that you bless this time as we look at our wor- your, your word, Lord. Give us understanding. Speak to our hearts about how we can apply it. And then just um, pray that you bless the rest of the evening. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of... Abimelech is a sequel to the story of Gideon. So if the life of Gideon was a three-part trilogy, the story of Abimelech is the sequel that follows it. It's it's what comes immediately after. And the life of Abimelech illustrates the abysmal state that Gideon left Israel in upon his death. And, And it just illustrates the continual downward spiral of the nation from the beginning of the book of Judges. If you recall, Gideon started out as a Baal worshiper like the rest of Israel. Um, there was not necessarily anything special about the man. He started out as, a, as an idol worshiper and in hiding. Um, but God placed a calling on Gideon's life. And if he would simply demonstrate faith in God through obedient action. God would give him the victory. This was the promise to Gideon. God God would deliver the Midianites into his hand. So Gideon, full of fear, but through a process of faith and a process of questioning God, um, eventually came to a place of of personal faith in in God and a place where God could use him. And, And he He achieved incredible victory over the Midianites. However, um, bolstered by this victory, Gideon began to act on his own, independent of God. He he went on to settle personal vendettas and even directed his anger towards his own countrymen um, when they refused to come to his aid. And Gideon, at the, the end of these battles, did refuse to be king of Israel, although it was offered to him. But his life from that point on was 
a contradiction. He, he, he lived like a king and led Israel back into the idolatry he led them out of. So for 40 years, he, he practically ruled over Israel in complacency without any return to God or his ways. So immediately after his death, the nation returned to worship the worship of the Baals, which was what they continually did in the book of Judges. And, and there's an interesting commentary in verse 35 of chapter 8. It says, Neither showed they kindness, the nation, showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. That verse sets us up for what's about to happen in chapter 9. Um, that, that encapsulates what happens in chapter 9. Upon Gideon's death, Abimelech sweeps into the power vacuum that was left by his father's death. And there's hardly even a breath between the end of Gideon's life and the action about to take place. Abimelech, Gideon's son, returned to his father's, I'm sorry, he returned from his father's house to his mother's house in Shechem. So if you recall, Abimelech was the son of Gideon's concubine. Uh, he was not the son of one of Gideon's many wives. She was a maidservant who was likely used as one, and she bore a son to Gideon. So in many ways, Abimelech wasn't one of the 70 sons of Gideon. This, this man was illegitimate, and he returns from Ophrah, where his father was from, to the town of his mother, Shechem. It was this, this son, Abimelech, whose name meant, my father is king. Gideon gave him that name, and Abimelech made every effort to live up to that name. Abimelech promptly returned to the hometown of his mother, and he was ready to consolidate power and set himself up as the ruler of Israel. He, he was going to use cunning and persuasion to get what he wanted. So he went first to his family. His brothers and sisters, the children of his mother, not his father. And he, he spoke to the whole clan of his mother's family. And he said, help me out. I want you to go to the men of Shechem and I want you to share my message. Share what I'm sharing with you. And he says, would it not be better? Would it not be better for you to be ruled by one man than 70? Would it not be more efficient? Would it, would it not be better that one man, and, and let's just throw this in there, one man, who is your kin, okay, all of these 70 sons of Gideon have no interest in you, Shechem, but I care because my mother's from here. You're my family. So would it not be better for you to be ruled over by one man who is kin, no less, than to be ruled over by the 70 sons of Gideon? And so Abimelech's family obliged. They, they parroted his message through the town and the townsmen were easily persuaded. He is our brother, they reasoned. He's, he's our brother. He's one of us. This would be better. So, here it goes. <laughs> we'll have the next 40 minutes of this. Okay. Um, there are people watching the storm, so don't worry. I think it's just a thunderstorm. So, they reasoned that this would be better. Um, and it says in verse 3 that their hearts went after him. So, so evidently, he was very persuasive because their hearts were inclined to follow after him. 
And so Shechem allied themselves with Abimelech. The men of the town gave him 70 pieces of silver. And with these 70 pieces of silver, Abimelech hired men uh, to make up a small army. He used this money for that, that purpose. These men, the Bible describes as, as worthless, um, but they proved brutal. So he has this, this band of simple-minded strong men, and with them he marched 30 miles or so back to his father's home at Afra. And, and there in Afra, with this, these men he had hired, he murdered 69 of his 70 brothers. I just, I can't imagine. These stories baffle me when you actually stop and think about them. But he goes and either directly or stands by and watches as his brothers are murdered. However, the youngest of his brothers, Jotham, hid. That's why only 69 were killed and escaped with his life. So with all of the competition for power thoroughly eradicated, Abimelech returned to Shechem where he has, or where he was, made king of Israel. Now, this is interesting. You might say he was the first king of Israel, not Saul. Um, he was made king in Shechem. So when Jotham, the only surviving son of Gideon, heard that Abimelech had been made king, he made his way towards Shechem with a message. He stood on Mount Gerizim, which would have been nearby, and don't imagine him like on the top of the mountain where nobody would hear him, but he's down on a high place shouting over the valley, shouting over the vineyards where the men of Shechem would have been working. Okay, And he begins proclaiming a message. And he cried out, listen to me. He said, the trees went out at one time to anoint a king over themselves. So he's telling this fable. He says, they went out to anoint a king and they approached the olive tree and asked him to be their king. And the olive tree responded, should I leave my abundance that has blessed men and God, should I leave that to be your king? That's not, that's not a trade I want to make. I'm not going to do it. Okay, so from the olive tree, they went to the fig tree and asked him to be their king. And his response was, should I leave my good fruit and the sweetness of it to be king over the trees? Again, not a trade I want to make. So the trees went to the vine and said, come be our king. And he responded, should I leave my wine, which has brought pleasure to many, to be your king? I'm not going to do it. Okay, so, so the, the trees are getting desperate, and they're clamoring and searching for a king, searching for someone to rule over them, and they finally came to the bramble. Now, that's hardly a good candidate for king of the trees, okay? But, but they would not be dissuaded. They must have a king. They, they, they couldn't be, their minds couldn't be changed. So they asked a scrawny, prickly thorn bush to be their king. If you look up what a bramble was, it's like a blackberry bush. So a scrawny, prickly blackberry bush is, is what they asked to be king of the trees. So the thorn bush responded, if you truly make me your king, you will look to me and treat me as such. And if not, I will destroy you. That was, that was his message to the trees. I will destroy even the greatest of you. That's quite a threat, but the trees just had to have a king. And so they chose the bramble. Now, this story is, of course, a parable of Israel. 
there had been so many good king candidates, if you will, up to this point. Men like Joshua, Caleb, Othniel, and even Ehud, all would have been good candidates for king of Israel, but apparently had no desire to be so. Because it would have been a minor thing after the victories they had won to set themselves up as a king, but they chose not to. And even Gideon, most recently, despite all his flaws, declined an offer to be king. Uh, so Israel, just despite this, just had to have a king. And so they settled for the worst possible candidate, an unqualified power-hungry and assuming Abimelech. And so Jotham is done with his parable, and he gave his final judgment. Attempting to sound objective, Jotham said, if you've acted in good faith in making Abimelech your king, and if you've done right by my father Gideon, he says, remember, my father risked his life to deliver you from the Midianites and led you through these battles, delivered you from the oppression, and for 40 years you were free under his rulership. So he reminds them of that, and he says, if, if all of this has been deserved, the, what you've done to my father's house, and you've acted sincerely in good faith, rejoice, for you have a new king. Okay, but, but he adds, if not... Let fire come out of Abimelech and destroy you. And let fire come out of the house of Shechem and destroy Abimelech. And with his parable preached and applied, Jotham flees. Flees for his life, as you can imagine. And goes to a place where he won't be easily found. Even Jotham probably did not realize the extent to which his parable was a prophecy. Because it comes to pass. It's, it's amazing. I want to point out that the primary guilty party in Jotham's parable was not the bramble bush. It was the stupid trees who, clamoring after a king, settled for a weak and abusive option who was too eager to accept the position. Okay? The king was good for nothing other than bringing disaster and it was the men of Shechem who made Abimelech king, right. willingly. It was their choice. Without them, he would have been powerless. It was the men of Shechem whom he used to kill his brothers. So this story highlights the stupidity of the Shechemites, who, who brought a thorn bush, or they thought a thorn bush, an inadequate ruler like Abimelech, could actually provide them with shade. We might say security. The theme of Jotham's parable is the foolishness and peril of accepting clearly unqualified leadership. Brambles make good fuel, but poor kings. And they learned this. So God saw fit over the process of time to bring about Jotham's parable almost like a perfectly fulfilled prophecy. Abimelech did reign over Israel. It was likely a weak an unstable coalition, but he reigned, nonetheless, for three years. Um, the Bible specifically says that he reigned over Israel, not just Shechem, but over Israel. And it may have seemed as if Jotham's curse would never come to pass. At this point, it likely would have been forgotten that he ever said anything from that mountainside. However, 
over time, it came to pass that God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. We might say he put a spirit of ill will between the inhabitants of Shechem and Abimelech. God began to stir up discontentment in their hearts. They weren't so pleased with this king they had chosen. There was rising resentment for his position and poor leadership. Now again, I want to point out that it was God who placed this spirit of ill will within them. God was the one working his judgment. They killed, the men of Shechem killed 69 men so that they could have one king. They got what they wanted, but God's judgment was wrapped up in what they thought they wanted. It's quite clear in verse 24 that God placed this spirit within them, that the cruelty done to the threescore and ten sons of Jerubbaal might come and their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them, and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. So the men of Shechem begin to break faith with their king. They begin to work against him instead of with him. They placed burglars and robbers in the mountainsides, and, and these, these men would ransack anyone who came through the mountains. And at the, at the very least, this, this would have maybe proved financially difficult for Abimelech. It might have also proven to be um, embarrassing because here's this king who can't even protect merchants and traders in his own borders. And so it was embarrassing to him. It was a disgrace. And word of this, of what the men of Shechem were doing, came to Abimelech. And about this time, a new character enters the story, a man named Gael. Gael moved his family recently to the town of Shechem. And apparently, he was a pretty charismatic, attractive personality. Because it didn't take long before the men of Shechem began to place confidence in him. They liked him. And they liked what he said. They, they began to trust him almost as a leader. And so it was a time of grape harvest. And the men of Shechem went out into their vineyards to begin harvesting the grapes, and they trod the grapes to make wine, as they would have done. And one night they held a festival, and they were likely celebrating the harvest. Um, they, were, they were drinking and enjoying the wine that they had produced. Now just try to imagine the scene, because if you've seen many movies, this isn't really hard to imagine. They're having this festival, and the men of the town are enjoying the wine that is the product of their labor. They're getting drunk. So you have this room full of drunk men, and in the middle of them is this loudmouth new guy in town, Gael, who's stirring them up. So they're all drunk on their wine, and they're getting stirred up by Gael. And as they revel, Gael shouts, Who is Abimelech? And why are we, the men of Shechem, serving him? Because this makes no sense. And is he not the son of Gideon, why, why in the world is our king uh, the son of some dead guy from Ophrah? Why are we serving this outsider instead of one of our own group? And he continues stirring them up. He said, if I were in charge around here, if I were in charge, I would throw off his oppressive reign. I, I would remove him from his office. I would challenge him to come out after us. I, I challenge him. And you can almost hear like the guys with these flagons of wine saying, hear, hear, right? Like, uh, we agree. And they're getting all riled up by Gael, this new guy in Shechem. 
So meanwhile, Zebul, who is Abimelech's governor in the region, is hearing all of this. So just imagine him lurking in the shadows, listening as they're reveling, and he slowly just kind of slinks back away and then turns and runs to go tell Abimelech what's going on. So every villain has a sleazy sidekick, right? This is Zebul. This is the sleazy sidekick. So Zebul tells Abimelech about the uprising and discontent that Gael has stirred up. And he makes a recommendation. He recommends that Abimelech come to Shechem by cover of darkness and place his men ready to ambush. When the men of the town come out into the fields to work the next day, he can attack and they will be wiped out. So this is what Zebul recommends. And Abimelech liked his plan. Abimelech came to Shechem during the night and divided his men into four separate companies that lurked in the shadows of the mountains. So Gael woke up early the next morning, goes to the edge of the town, and as he's stretching and continuing to wake up and rubbing his eyes, he looks out into the mountainside and he, he says, Zebel's nearby, he says, I think I see men in the mountains. Like There are people out there. And Zebel just blows him off. He says, no, you're mistaking the morning shadows of the mountains um, for men. There's, there's nothing going on here. But he continues to look and he says, no, there, there are men in the mountains, which would have not been a good thing if you're a town down in a valley. Okay, you're, you're surrounded. You're about to get attacked. And he's alarmed. And, and so in, in, in this moment of alarm, I'm sorry, I totally lost my place here. Zebel is there ready. Zebel's there ready. It's like he's been, he's been pondering this one-liner all night, and he's just ready to say it. And he says, where's your mouth now, Gail? Weren't you the loud mouth saying when Abimelech comes to town, you're going to show him who's boss? Well, where's your mouth now? And so this is what Zebel says. He challenges, um, he challenges Gail to go out against Abimelech, and that's what... Gael does. He, he, went, he did just that. He went out against Abimelech as the head of the men of Shechem. <clears throat> but in this battle, Abimelech had the upper hand. He overthrew the men of Shechem, chased them back to the gate of the town, and Zebel threw Gael out of town. So the new guy's gone. So the next morning, the town gets up, and no doubt... If you're a townsman here, you have a job, and that's to work these vineyards. They thought, Gael came up, he stirred up all this commotion, but he's gone, life returns to normal. But Abimelech didn't feel that way. He was still angry, and he, his pride had been wounded, and he was going to settle this. So Abimelech divided his army into three companies. One blocked the entrance to the town, and then the other two hid in the fields. And when the men went out to work, when they were defenseless, not prepared for battle, scattered out, Abimelech pounces on them and fought with them for the whole day and decimates the town of Shechem. Just decimated. He raised the city down to the ground. The Bible says he sowed it with salt. It was destroyed. So 
when, when the men, when the remaining men and women of Shechem saw what was happening, they fled to the house of their God. And, and this would have been a stronghold of sorts where they could hole up. Abimelech and his men went up into the mountains and they began cutting down wood, carrying it down to this stronghold and piling it around the stronghold. And they lit it on fire. And whether through smoke inhalation or from burning by the fire, there were around a thousand people killed in that stronghold. So from here, Abimelech went to a town, a nearby town called Thebes, and he besieged it. Now, we don't really know why this town could have allied themselves with Shechem, or maybe he was just trying to assert his dominance and regain control of the region as king. But either way, he besieged it. And the inhabitants of Thebes retreated into their own stronghold in the center of the town and went up onto the roof of the tower. And thinking what worked in Shechem would work in Thebes, <clears throat> Abimelech begins piling wood around the base of this stronghold to burn it. However, little did he know that a certain woman was at the top of the tower determined to kill him, and she threw a millstone and hit her target square in the head and crushed his skull, and he died that day. So Abimelech died at the hands of a woman in Thebes. So when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone returned home somberly. A lot of people had died that day. This is a very interesting story to me. Um, the story is so interesting, in fact, that as you read it, you can easily miss the instructive verses right at the end. Verse 56 says, Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father, in slaying his 70 brethren. Okay, I want to remind everyone that God is the one who caused the spirit of ill will to come upon the men of Shechem in verse 23. It was God who turned the fable of Jotham into a prophecy. It was God, as it says in verse 56, who returned the wickedness of Abimelech. Sure, the men of Shechem are the ones who killed Gideon's sons, but it was Abimelech who led them to do so, and God held him accountable for this. Why? Well, because it is a serious thing to lead God's people astray and to cause division within God's covenant community, whether that be the nation of Israel or within God's church. This is what motivated Jesus to say in Matthew 18, 6, whoso shall offend, we might say, whoso shall cause to stumble or cause to sin, one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. God considers it a great offense to be an influence in someone else's sinning. And we have to be really careful here. We've all heard the expression, misery loves company. And it's also true that sin loves company. Every gossip needs an audience. Rage finds a mob. 
Exclusive cliques have leaders. Bullies have sidekicks. Discontent looks for discontent. You get the idea. We must be very careful that we are not responsible for using our influence over those closest to us to inadvertently lead them into sin. A child who constantly listens to a parent criticizing others may grow up with a critical spirit. An overindulgent spouse will often lead their spouse to follow the easier path, overindulgence. A bitter friend will likely rub off bitterness, making more bitter people of his friends. Jesus said, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. It's, an, it's a serious offense to God to lead astray his people. And this is why Abimelech was killed. Yes, Shechem technically murderously overthrew the house of Gideon, but Abimelech led them to do so. Okay. That's one part of this. But beyond that, I, I think there's another important relevant warning here. Verse 57 says, And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. God turned Jotham's parable into a prophecy. And the interesting thing about Jotham's curse is that it doesn't really condemn the bramble for accepting the offer to be king. The bramble gave the trees fair warning, and he gave them an out. They could withdraw their offer. He gave them a warning. Verse 14 of chapter 9 says, Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come down and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Jotham's commentary on the parable and his curse are directed at the inhabitants of Shechem, not Abimelech, although he was the leader. Jotham and Jotham's curse, which the text says God brought about, do not condemn the leader, although the leader is implicated. At fault are the followers, Shechem, for making such a stupid decision in the selection of their king. Abimelech was the bramble. He was a worthless man, not worthy to be king over the people. It made no sense, but it was the people who chose to follow him. God held them accountable and judged them for their choice. From, from Eden until now, it has been in our nature as human beings, to be easily led astray. But God still holds us accountable for who we choose to follow. We often get the king we deserve, the king we ask for, and bear the consequences for it. We live in a world full of cheap and worthless kings. America has democratized many things, not all of them government. And today, Everyone has a platform. Everyone has a voice. Social platforms have provided opportunity for anyone and everyone to broadcast their opinions, no matter their credentials, no matter their merit. The relative absence of 
of any cost or effort associated with publishing opinions means many will, and no matter how uninformed, no matter how baseless. We live in a culture of online influencers, and this amazes me. Um, we live and die, and I, I say we as a culture, we live and die by their counsel. We literally allow them to inform our political positions, our purchasing decisions, our eating habits, our medical decisions, and even our theological opinion, opinions are informed by YouTube. And we don't even really know who these people are. I'm afraid that we often trave the olive tree for the bramble bush. We're asking Abimelech to be our kings. Just like Israel, we clamor for kings. It's in our nature. We all want to be part of a tribe. We want something to identify with, someone to follow, someone who says what we want to hear. And we often settle for cheap, poor kings because it's easy. It's easier to fill my brain with sensational spouting off on social media than the rich content of a scholar or maybe the loving counsel of our pastor. It's easier to be fed these other things. We place ourselves in echo chambers where we hear everything we want to hear and nothing we don't. And cheap kings can sound good. Abimelech came into Shechem and obviously was persuasive. And his reason kind of panned out. He said, I'm your kin. Do you really want 70 guys who have no interest in you ruling over, ruling over you? Or do you want one who's your family? It sounded good. And, and, and they believed him. It's everything they wanted to hear. Shechem was decimated, and Abimelech died because choosing a leader and being a leader are both actions for which we are held accountable. We often think and say, God will judge those who lead others astray. And that's true. Like, that's true. Those who are leading others astray have to answer for that. And we would all agree with that, and we saw that tonight. It's, it's the life of Abimelech. However, equally true is that God will hold all of us accountable for whom we choose to follow. We also saw that in our story tonight. So the challenge from the story is really simple. Let us all consider where we're going. Because whether we're in the lead or being led, we will be held accountable for where we end up. We'll have to answer for that, whether we're at the front or the back. We can't blame it on other people. God holds us accountable for who we choose to follow. So let's consider that in our lives this evening as we stand together.